0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Laura Murphy Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the full story. The allegations were shocking.
2: Oh, in absolute shock. I just wrote down these words you know, that you hear from the AFL boss, Hawthorne, Luke Hodge disturbing, distressing, harrowing. It's just a horrible disgraceful story,
1: if in any way true. Published in the ABC last September, Indigenous players and their families claimed their lives were torn apart by the actions of coaches at Hawthorne AFL Club.
3: With Alastair Clarkson hitting back a short time ago over allegations that Hawthorne pressured Indigenous players to separate from their partners and, in one case, terminate a pregnancy...
1: Last week, an eight-month investigation by the AFL into what happened to these players at Hawthorne ended with a fizzle. But no findings and no real resolution, just an apology.
2: The AFL knows that during the long history of our game there have been instances of racism and that players have been marginalised, hurt or discriminated against because of their race. And for that, we say sorry.
1: So what went wrong with the AFL's investigation into racism at Hawthorne? And where to from here for The Club and The Code? Today, how Hawthorne's reckoning on race lost its way. It's Tuesday, the 6th of June.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
2: With the price of just about
0: everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, you get 30, you get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? so Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
1: So, Jonathan, what do we need to know about Hawthorne's reputation, particularly when it comes to Indigenous players and communities?
2: Sure. Well, Hawthorne is unquestionably the most successful club um, football-wise, probably from the last 50 years.
1: Jonathan Horne is an AFL columnist for Guardian Australia.
2: Traditionally very much a conservative club, um, openly conservative in terms of their governance and, and so on. And up until the turn of the century, they were a club that had only actually ever had two Indigenous footballers on their list. That was in the 1960s and the 1970s. And they were a club that's been open about their resistance to recruiting Indigenous players throughout that golden period in the 1970s and 80s. One of their recruiters, John Turnbull, once said that a senior board member told him, Just remember, don't draft someone with darker skin than mine. Wow. But that very much changed in the 2000s in terms of the players that they recruited. They actively um, recruited Indigenous footballers. The the first one was um, Chance Bateman and... Famously, they then drafted a number of absolute champion Indigenous footballers, Lance Franklin, Sil Rioli and Sean Burgoyne. So that, that was very much something that Hawthorne were very proud of in terms of their, their ability to, to make that shift.
1: One of those players, Cyril Rioli, is really key to how this all played
2: out. One of footy's most beloved figures, not even Cyril Rioli, could escape racism.
1: In early 2022, he came forward with allegations of racism he says he experienced while at the club.
2: It is the right time, I guess, for, for me and my wife to, to, to go home.
1: Broadly, what did he have to say?
2: So Cyril Rioli and his partner Shannon spoke to Caroline Wilson at The Age and Fairfax about a series of incidents during his time at the club, um, including an incident that happened on a footy trip where there was a racial slur used against another Indigenous teammate. And there, there were a number of other incidents as well where the Riolis called for more cultural awareness training at the club and and better sensitivity in general um, that that they claimed were not forthcoming. Mm. All in all, this was very much a factor in Rioli retiring early. Um, He was 28 when he retired. It, It came as a big surprise to the wider football community. He was someone who was seen still in the prime of his career.
1: Jonathan, how did Hawthorne respond to Cyril Rioli coming forward?
2: So Hawthorne... Launched an external review into its history with First Nations football. It's very much along the line of Collingwood's Do Better report, which had been, I think, twelve to eighteen months earlier. And and in short, the scope of the review was to gather the experiences of of their Indigenous players um, from about two thousand and eight to two thousand and sixteen. Andrew Gowers, who's now the Hawthorne president, referred to it the other day as as a welfare check. Mm. And so last year, once that review was finalised, Hawthorne deemed that the recommendations were too complex for them to handle alone, and they handballed that review to the AFL and its integrity department. We know now that the AFL had that review for several weeks but had not responded publicly, but... In grand final week with very much uh, the sport in celebration mode and counting down the days till grand final day. The football world has been thrown into turmoil just days out from the grand final. The ABC Ran the story and basically all hell broke loose.
0: 40 finals, long weekend in Victoria has been marred by a massive racism scandal.
2: There are calls for an urgent review into every AFL club in the wake
3: of the Hawthorne racism scandal. Chris Fagan has joined Alistair Clarkson in denying the allegations as the league's Indigenous stars rally around their accusers.
1: Tell me about what was in that explosive ABC report.
2: So the ABC article included interviews with several First Nations players and their families um, who had been part of that Hawthorne review. And the most damning allegation to emerge concerned Alistair Clarkson um, from his time when he coached Hawthorne, as well as his former assistant Chris Fagan. And the allegations were that they'd used intimidatory tactics to separate couples at the early stages of their pregnancies and and during parenthood. Now, the players and, and their partners were not identified. They were given pseudonyms. So one of the couples, there were particularly explosive allegations and the couple told the ABC that Clarkson as coach had essentially told them to kill my unborn kid and the player's partner said that even though she did keep the baby, it was only at the five-month mark of that pregnancy that her partner was allowed to return to his family, at which point his mental health had frayed considerably. And essentially they said that this incident was part of the reason that they terminated a later pregnancy, which in turn led to the downfall of their relationship. And that was just one of the multiple allegations in, in Russell Jackson's article about players being forcibly separated from their partners who were pregnant or who had just given birth. Now, obviously, it's really important to note that both coaches very quickly refuted those allegations. They denied any wrongdoing. They denied any misconduct. They said that the health and the welfare of their players had always been utmost in their thinking, and they said that they were shocked at the allegations and that that fight them every step of the way and and really importantly to this story, they said that they hadn't been interviewed by the authors of the report who the club had commissioned, and nor had they been provided with a copy of that report.
1: Jonathan. On the weekend, we did learn the identities of some of these players and their partners when they came forward via an open letter. Can you tell me about that?
2: Yeah, so that story, it included an open letter, which was co-authored by several former Hawthorne people, including Cyril Rioli and his partner, Shannon, and a couple of other players, Jermaine Miller-Lewis and his partner and Carl Peterson, who'd been at Hawthorne a few years before him. And there was also, part of that letter was Leon Egan, who was actually a staffer at Hawthorne. He was actually the Indigenous manager um, at Hawthorne. And in that open letter, they revealed that they were, and I quote, some of the Indigenous players who had endured racism at Hawthorne and who were separated from their families and who were told an unborn child would ruin their futures. Now, there's actually other people who have made allegations during this investigation who continue at this point to remain anonymous, and they're actually being represented by other law firms at this stage.
3: Hi, I'm John Evans. I'm a Radjury man from Western New South Wales. I'm a fan of AF. I'm, I'm actually a sports fan
1: Professor John Evans, you research Indigenous sport and you're one of the First Nations advisors to the Essendon Football Club. Why is it so significant that these allegations involve Indigenous players being separated from their families?
3: Well, I think it goes back to some fundamental things about removing parents and kids at at the best of time, Laura, you know, and there's been a history of that in Indigenous communities. So we don't want to exacerbate that problem by saying to people, well, "When you come and play for the AFL, you know you've got to you got to get rid of your kid and your missus because they're they're dragging you down." If that is actually what transpired, I'm not suggesting that that was a fact. And the, the suggestion that you know being removed from their families is a good idea, I think, is is something that needs to be reviewed with a a greater sense of cultural understanding.
1: Right, Clarkson and others have also said that the ABC did not give them a proper chance to respond. Is this true, that neither during the Hawthorne review process nor during ABC's reporting, these coaches were given a chance to respond to the allegations?
2: So Clarkson and Fagan's response was not part of the original report commissioned by Hawthorne. Their responses were deemed outside the scope of that review, and then when it comes to the ABC, it, it is very much contested whether the two coaches had enough time to respond to the allegations. Um, that's something that the ABC issued a statement on this week. Again, they've, they've done that repeatedly. They have, they have backed their journalist in repeatedly. They insist that there was more than adequate time for the coaches to respond to these allegations and the coaches insist that that wasn't the case and that during grand final week that they they simply, they didn't have time to get to get to those or that they hadn't received them at all. And that's where this story is very much contested.
1: In the wake of all this, were these coaches able to stay at Hawthorne? What happened with their careers?
2: So by the time the review came out, both men were no longer at Hawthorne. In fact, Fagan had been at Brisbane for the best part of half a decade, and Clarkson had taken a year off. Ironically, he was still actually being paid by Hawthorne at the time, but he'd already been signed as North Melbourne's coach.
1: So, Jonathan, in response to all this, the AFL kind of took charge of the matter and they created an independent inquiry and for the past eight months they've been investigating the allegations and whether AFL rules have been breached, whether there's cause for disciplinary action.
3: Thanks, everyone, for uh,
2: coming. Uh, appreciate it was late notice and it's, uh, it's more short notice late in the day. Today, we announce a set of outcomes in relation to the independent panel investigation.
1: That wrapped up last week with AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin fronting the media late on Tuesday and revealing that there were no adverse findings.
2: No adverse findings have been made in the independent investigation against any of the individuals against whom allegations have been made. The complainants wish to resolve all differences with the AFL.
1: However, we know that the coaches and the Indigenous players and their families were not formally interviewed throughout this whole process. Why?
2: I think that's, that's the crux of the problem of this case. Last year, that right at the beginning of, of when this story broke, Michael Bradley, who's the lawyer for one of the families, was interviewed and asked whether his client's had an obligation to follow through with this and to test their allegations in court and to to no longer be acting under pseudonyms and so on. And he straight up said, well, no, my clients don't. We, We don't want any part of this investigation. This investigation is independent in name only. The terms have been laid out by the AFL. They chose the barristers. They wrote the terms of reference
3: their lawyers were going to collate the evidence and we want no part of this. Mm. I think this is another case of the sport investigating the sport. I think, uh, I mean, the AFL chose the people to do the investigation, so I think it there needs to be an independent external party to look at these particular issues. It could be something like the Human Rights Commission, it could be something like the sport for arbitration type model that they have in, in the Olympic sport movement. And, and, and from the moment that he gave that interview,
2: this process, in a way, was futile and and it was almost, it was two, two parties with a complete lack of trust and a complete inability to come to any sort of solution or to meet in the middle on this. But definitely this open letter that was published on Friday night has shed more light on this. And in that letter, the families allege that they, they, they've always been willing to come to the table at some point. It wasn't really clear when, but they claimed they tried to enter mediation with the Hawthorne coaches, and I'll quote them here, they weren't prepared to listen to our truths through mediation. We've always had the courage to listen to their truths.
1: Mm. The open letter does make clear that the families now plan to take this issue to the Human Rights Commission. What could that process look like, Jonathan?
2: So the Human Rights Commission actually doesn't have binding findings it's very much about mediation and facilitating a conversation but if that turns out to be a dead end and if that goes nowhere and if the coaches say well stuff you we 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 don't want any part of this it could end up before the federal courts in fact in that open letter um it states you know if, if if all else fails that we will tell our truths in the witness box and that they'll hear us one way or another
1: so, Jonathan, more than a year has passed since Cyril Rioli came forward and there's been two separate processes looking into these allegations. Did Hawthorne and the AFL bungle this process?
2: I think very much there's a sense that Hawthorne blundered into this, um, that they thought that they were going to hear overwhelmingly positive stories and they got an incredibly rude shock. Mm-hmm. Reading between the lines, the message increasingly is don't go peering under rocks if you're not certain about what you're going to find about your club. And it's a huge shame because we need these reviews and we need to confront what's happened in the past. But the key to that is to have proper processes that protect the people telling their story and also the people being accused. And I think the clubs have looked at what has happened at Hawthorne and, and are probably... Incredibly wary about going down that path.
1: Next, in the wake of this saga, will the AFL reform or retreat? Laura Meffiotes here, one of the hosts of Full Story. It's Guardian Australia's 10th birthday, and to celebrate, we're hosting a special live recording of Full Story at Vivid Sydney in June. We'll be talking about Australia's natural environment and how to save it. I'll be joined by a panel of special guests, including independent senator for the ACT, David Pocock, Dr Dennis Rose, a Gunachamara traditional owner and conservation expert, national co-convener of the Labor Environment Action Network, Felicity Wade, and Guardian Australia's own environment editor, Adam Morton. The event is in Sydney and you can buy tickets on the Vivid Sydney website right now. Just search for Full Story. Okay, we really hope to see you there. What about the club of Hawthorne itself? Could they face repercussions for what is alleged to have happened?
2: Nobody really knows. There's a lot of speculation and a lot of that is being played out day by day in the media. There's also been a lot of talk in terms of punishments for Hawthorne, which to me is very strange because by punishing Hawthorne, what message is actually being sent in, in, in doing that? Is the message, well, we found no evidence of racism or wrongdoing at your club, but we're, go- we're almost going to punish you for the way you dredged all this up and for your shoddy processes? And and in terms of the AFL, the AFL is, is an organisation that very much loves solutions to things. Um, they love sanctions. They love black and white answers to issues. Some are suggesting draft penalties for Hawthorne, which is which is a really strange and absurd suggestion in a way, because A, that would be a punishment of the current team who had nothing to do with that era.
1: In the past week, sports commentators and AFL executives have been doing a lot of finger pointing. They have been pointing at the media, particularly the ABC, for how this story was broken. They've been pointing at Hawthorne, as you said, for how the review was conducted. And Alastair Clarkson even came out and said that...
2: Yeah, there's a, the, the game is the victim of this. The game, the game is shamed. Obviously, myself, Fakes, Jason, our families have been shamed. The Indigenous and First Nations families, they've been shamed.
1: Um, is all of this noise distracting from some of the core issues here, the welfare and wellbeing of Indigenous players in the AFL?
3: It has lost the focus on Indigenous players and I have said privately to my friends at some stages that a lot of sympathy has been thrown towards the coaches and that's because we know who they are. Um, I'd like to see the same level of concern and consideration for those players who have brought these allegations forward. Now, the AFL has got to become the leader in all this. They've got to put their hands up and say that we've got a problem here. We need to develop some cultural um Citizenship around this that 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 shows that we're a leader in our community, and we, we they need to come up with a way to deal with these things in the future, so that you know we're not ostracising Indigenous players number one, which is normally what happens when they bring something forward, and two that the resolution process means that everybody can move forward. And and it was interesting in
2: Gil McLaughlin's statement how he read off her prepared statement, and a lot of that was to do with how the AFL was committed to change at a club level, um, about having more Indigenous people on boards and so on. But he very much rifled through that statement. He got through it as quickly as he can, almost like it was an afterthought. That's always been the sense is that Indigenous engagement with the AFL, it's almost like they treat it as a KPI Something they can trumpet in their annual reports with the Doug Nichols round for celebrating indigenous culture that stuff is actually really easy, and where things get really complicated is in a case like this and and we 've seen that they 've been absolutely floundering when things get really complex and really difficult questions are answered, where the game is taken to really uncomfortable places they they flounder, and they prove that during the Adam Goods during the Adam Goods years and the way that story and this story immediately became part of the culture wars, immediately opinions splintered between left and right and immediately we started to draw the same battle lines as we do on every other big issue in this country.
1: Outside of just investigating racism and, and creating a better process for people coming forward and reporting it, are there other common sense things that, the AFL could do and, and is already doing it in some clubs to create better environments for Indigenous players?
3: Look, I think it's generally how the AFL engages with communities outside. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we, we want to try and do in all our sport is to, is to make sure that at the grassroots level that the people are proud of the sport and you know, they, they want to keep playing the sport. We don't want people to turn away from a sport because they're embarrassed by the, the views that the, the leadership have. So I think, you know, we've got to be uh, able to take the sport back to the people in some way. Before I came to Melbourne, there was a famous uh, rugby league player called Latrell Mitchell who played for the the Sydney City Roosters and he was experiencing a tough time. So his coach sent him home for two weeks to go fishing with his family and he came back rejuvenated. So I think we need to start thinking about the welfare of players, not necessarily from a Western mindset but more a, uh, a different sort of mindset where we can say to a player, look, look, you you look like you're 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 struggling because you're away from your family and your country. Go home, talk to your family, talk to your community, and take a couple of weeks off, and then come back when you're ready. And, and maybe that's that's another aspect of the of the way we should be treating players. It's okay to have Indigenous welfare officers in the clubs, but you need more than that. And, and I'm not suggesting I've got the answers here, but it has to start with the AFL stepping forward and saying, look, we've got it wrong. You know, we've We've tried, but what we've done doesn't work.
1: Do you think some of the load of changing the culture in the AFL falls on Aboriginal people, Torres Strait Islander people when these things come up?
3: Well, they're the ones who are carrying the load at the moment, Laura. They're the ones who are bringing forward the complaints. They're the ones who've got to live with the sorts of racism that occurs casually at training and in the change rooms and the sorts of remarks they get from supporters and the crowds. The only time the load gets carried by non-Indigenous people is when the accusation is made against a non-Indigenous coach. Then we all say, oh, the poor coaches, look, they're suffering, you know. But that's the only time they suffer when Indigenous players suffer season in and season out, in some cases dealing with racism.
1: That was Professor John Evans, the inaugural pro-vice-chancellor of Indigenous Engagement at Swinburne University and First Nations advisor to Essendon Football Club. You can read his piece on the AFL and Hawthorne titled Racism is not just an issue in football, but the AFL needs to push for greater change. We'll link to that on the Full Story page. Earlier, you also heard from AFL columnist Jonathan Horne. That's it for today. This episode was produced by me, Laura Murphy-Oates, and Karishma Luthria. Sound design, mixing, and theme music by Joe Koning. The executive producer of this episode was Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Catch you tomorrow.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?